Well, welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we are sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Esther Smith, the front person of Eversmith. We've been in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators for a long time now, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Alex Winslade. I work um, here in the offices at Wycliffe New Zealand. Um, and today we are joined by Greg Block, who is a Wycliffe New Zealand member. Um, so would you like to introduce, introduce yourself a bit more, Greg? Yeah, hi. Uh, good to be here. Um, thanks for inviting us. Um, we are uh, back in New Zealand just for a short time, and uh, we spend most of our life in Thailand. We've been there since 2008. I've got a wife and two kids. What else do you need to know? Uh, that's probably sufficient for now. We've got a lot of questions for you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So one of the practices we like to do on the Story of Hope podcast is to pray for five nations each episode. Um, so this episode we'll be praying for Guinea-Bissau, Guyana, Haiti, Honduras, and Hong Kong. So we'd love if you could lead us in prayer for those nations today, Greg. Okay. Sounds good. Heavenly Father... We thank you that you, you love us, you reach out to us, uh, you want us to be uh, your kids and you want us to know you. And Lord, you're involved in uh, all of the nations of the world. You're calling people to yourself from every tribe and language and nation and people group. And uh, Father, we want to lift up these nations to you now, Lord. Uh, Guinea-Bissau, Guyana, Haiti, Honduras, and Hong Kong. Lord, each of these nations is so different and have uh, so many different uh, people groups, so many different languages, so many different uh, politics and other things that are going on in those nations. But we pray, Father, that you would draw people to yourself from these nations. Lord, you would strengthen the churches that are in these places. Father, we thank you for the Christians that are there, that are building your kingdom and that are bringing uh, people to know you. And Lord, we pray, Father, for your protection on them. We know in places like Hong Kong and Haiti and Honduras, there's political turmoil. And so we pray, Father, for wisdom for the leaders. We pray that they would uh, not use violence and other means to... Uh, control the people, but that they would uh, have your wisdom. They would rule with peace and with uh, wisdom, shalom. Lord, we pray for uh, more people in these nations to come to know you. The languages that, that don't have the Bible, uh, we pray, Father, for translation projects in those languages. Mm -hmm and that uh, you would strengthen the translators, whether they're mother tongue translators or whether they're uh, overseas foreigners coming in to help facilitate that project. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, you would strengthen them and protect them and help them as they seek to see your kingdom established in these places. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks for that. Greg, um, really appreciate it. So I'm going to kick into some icebreaker questions. And this first one I'm super excited about because I already know sort of the backstory and I love it so much. But what is the story of how you and your wife got together? Okay, so we officially met when I was 22 and uh, I had crooked teeth and I was getting braces, orthodontic, you know, work on my teeth. And Rosie was one of the orthodontic technicians putting the braces on. And so um, she'd just been to Africa with YWAM doing a, a short-term mission on one of the Mercy ships. And, um, and so we, there was a bit of chemistry there and a bit of flirting. And, and I told her about my upcoming trip to Japan for a karate tournament. I wasn't a Christian at this stage. And, uh, and the flirting stopped. And I'm, there's this, like, total 180 cold shoulder and I'm kind of sitting there thinking what did I say I mean I had no idea that Christian girls shouldn't be uh, dating non-Christian guys and 
Um, so, yeah, I was like, ah. <laughs> anyway, a couple of months later, I met Jesus and got saved. And then um, I started going to this small church, like 30 people, 40 on a good week. And um, they were running these classes, which, you know, kind of new Christian classes. And guess who was there? Rosie. So wow. um, that was pretty cool. And so we met and met again, should we say, and got together. And about two and a half weeks later, I proposed. Wow. And, uh, that was on my birthday, August 10th. And then we got married in December that year. So Wow, real quick. That's the short version. I'll maybe tell you a bit more about the backstory uh, later. Yeah, awesome. I love it so much. Um, well, my second icebreaker question is, what do you miss the most when you're not in New Zealand? Uh, probably our kids. Um, our oldest, Thomas, he's 24. Uh, Xanthi's our daughter, she's 21. Um, so we must being around them, you know, as they kind of go into adulthood. Um, but I guess there's other things, you know, like um, I was just saying before that New Zealand's such a beautiful country. Like, my goodness, we come back here and we're like, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, these other things like fish and chips. We love New Zealand fish and chips. In fact, uh, funny story, we were in Thailand, I don't know, for a year or two, maybe 18 months, um, and we found a place that said fish and chips, and we're like, oh, we can have fish and chips. And uh, so we ordered fish and chips, and we didn't know what they'd be like, so we just ordered one of their fish and chips. I forget how much it cost, but we got nine chips. They were all cold. And the fish was like this thin, oh, like you could almost no. see through it. And we're like, oh, no. this is really not fish and chips. Like, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's funny things like that. Yeah, I yeah. totally understand that. I'm in a landlocked state in the U.S. And first right. of all, they don't really know how to do fish and chips good anyway. But then, like, when you do get the fish, it's usually a bit old. Um, <laughs> so used to fresh fish and chips. It's really, yeah. really disappointing. But um, so, yeah, I, I relate <laughs> to that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, jumping into our main questions, um, we know that you worked through Wycliffe, but how did you first become involved in Bible translation? Yeah, that was mostly Rosie's fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was brought up in a Christian family and uh, I wasn't. Um, she, ever since she was really young, she had this sort of vision or this, you know, calling on her life that she'd be a missionary and, um, she struggled with that because she was really shy and not very confident. And so when she was like 10 or 11 or 12, uh, she made this deal with God that uh, if God gave her a husband, she would go overseas and be a missionary. And uh, she's like, well, you're at it, God. Can I have some kids and a house? So, so she kind of forgot about that deal. And then fast forward like more than a decade or possibly two, um, and we were married and uh, we were in a house that we'd bought and Thomas was maybe six months old. Mm. And she'd never told me about this deal that she made with God to be a missionary. Wasn't in the fine print of the marriage contract. <laughs> and then one day I was driving home. I was in this job. I'd been, I'd been a Christian uh, maybe for a year before we got married. And so... I was a Christian for maybe three or four years by this stage. And um, I drove home from work one day a different way. And I'm sure this was God because I saw this big sign, you know, Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I'm like, why do you need to translate the Bible? We've already got it in English. <laughs> you know, totally not realizing. Yeah. Um, so I actually pulled in there and and said to them, you know, what do you guys do? And they told me about, you know, 7,000 something languages in the world and and uh, like most of them not having a Bible. And, yeah. and I was like blown away. Like at that stage, this is 1997, there were 400, new, there were 400 complete Bibles yeah. hmm. with 7,000 languages. And I'm just wow. like, 
how can that be? That right. just doesn't doesn't compute, you know. And um, anyway, they they invited me to a preview weekend, which they were having on that weekend. Um, and this is just so God timing, you know. Uh, I drove home, said to Rosie, "Oh, I called in at Wycliffe Bible Translators today," and uh, she just about fell off her chair. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> here we were married she had a husband she we had our first child we had a house wow. and God had led me without her ever telling me wow into this organization and uh she'd been really really interested in Wycliffe in her teens she'd been part of a prayer group that prayed for and and supported a little bit financially some Wycliffe missionaries that were working in Papua New Guinea so um, it was like at the top of her list of, of mm. organizations, she'd actually even tried to uh, join in her 20s and kind of didn't make it. Um, and so we went to that preview weekend and, uh, and we were just like blown away. They did this um, uh, display of, of how you learn an unwritten language. Wow. I was just like, wow, that was amazing. Mm. And um and I had really wanted to learn Japanese when I was in school. And my dad, who was a butcher, uh, he said, oh, you know, wh- why do you need to learn Japanese? Just do woodwork and metalwork and shop. And, you know, so I ended up doing those and hating them and always having this sort of desire to learn a language. And so wow. when I saw this, I was like, I want to do that. That is so cool. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of started the process and started reading about other worked with missionaries and the founder and what they were doing and yeah here we are (laughs) that's so cool I love hearing the stories of how different people got into Bible translation because I guess from my perspective being quite new to the organization I just see everyone as you know they've always been in Bible translation but see you know God calls people from different walks of life you know it's really cool very very cool so uh now you're in and on the mission field, what are some of the highlights that you've had? Yeah, um, I've written down four. I hope that's not too many. That's great. Um, we um, we didn't know any Christians when we moved into our people group. So just to set the stage, uh, we were in Thailand. Uh, we got there and learned Thai for a year, 18 months, around about that. Um I went and did a master's degree in linguistics, which is basically the training for Bible translation and yeah. a few other things thrown in, like literacy and um, things like that. And then we were looking around for projects, and uh, we got connected through a few God things um, to this little people group of about 10,000. And uh, uh, we eventually moved up there and started learning the language and uh, it's their language had never been written down, so it's an unwritten people group. We had this list when we we're joining the organization, like, um, you know, we'd read these biographies about missionaries that had gone out to small people groups yeah. and the issues they had with that, and people that had gone out to really big people groups, millions, you know, and the issues they had with that established church and all the, you know, infighting and all the stuff that happens in the churches. And we're like, we want a small group and we'd prefer <laughs> one where there aren't. Uh, there aren't all these issues with, you know, church politics or whatever. Yeah. And so God kind of ticked off all these boxes with this people group. It's just two and a half hours from where we were living. And uh, we were like, wow, this is great. So we moved up there in 2012 and started learning the language. Didn't know any Christians. Um, And yeah, that was a challenge, but um, uh, we were working out, because when you get to an unwritten language, you have to work out what are the sounds in the language. I mean, you're learning it as you go, um, but you have to work out what all the sounds are in the language and then work out how to assign a letter or whatever to those sounds. Mm-hmm. And eventually you can, you found all the sounds and you can write it down. But this language is tricky. It's got uh, about 25 consonants and about 25 vowels wow. or, or vowel uh, combinations, diphthongs is what you call mm. them, but and, yeah. you know, a glide from one vowel to another, I is a glide, you know, it's not a straight vowel. Wow. So anyway, all of that to say, uh, we found, we God kind of just introduced us to this Christian lady in another village, not in our village. And um, 
we were we were just blessed. Like she was 60. We called her her Dawn because her name in in the language sounds a bit like that, and uh, that's her nickname. So um, she had a pretty interesting story, like uh, how to come to Jesus via demon possession. Wow. <laughs> so she, her father was a witch doctor and her grandfather was a witch doctor in their village so wow. all sorts of spiritual stuff happening pretty much all of it bad you know um curses and you know all sorts of poisoning and oh, i mean just yeah everything you can think of and probably a few things you can't wow and she saw how much you'd father and grandfather were tormented by the demonic and she was like I don't want to do this you know this is but they wanted her to do it and so uh whether one of them cursed her whatever happened she got demon possessed and like really badly couldn't function demon possessed she had a daughter uh and a son uh, her daughter was about 16 and she just kind of lost her mind for three years wow and um couldn't could hardly put her clothes on, like couldn't cook, couldn't look after the family. Her daughter just tried everything, you know. She took her to other witch doctors to try and do whatever voodoo, you know, and uh, get the demons out. They didn't help at all. She took her to um, like the Buddhist monks, you know, the top Buddhist monks that chant in Bali, Sanskrit, and they didn't help at all. Took her to the psychiatric hospital in Chiang Mai. That didn't help. And then after about three years, the daughter pretty much gave up and wow. was like, well, this is it. You know, mum's going to be like this forever. After she gave up, she was walking down the street that week, met this Thai lady who was a Christian. And the lady said to her, just like first time they'd met, she said, oh, you should come to our church. Wow. And so um, told her a bit about Jesus. And, and so Dawn, Dawn's daughter whose name has just escaped me, but it'll come back in a minute. Um, no, I think her name is. Yeah, uh, she went to this church on the Sunday morning and uh, heard about Jesus. I don't know what the preacher preached on, but afterwards she went up and said to him, um, my mum's demon possessed. Wow. Can Jesus help? <laughs> <laughs> and the pastor's like, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so thankfully... He didn't say, bring her in and we'll lay hands on her and get these things out. He said, you go home and you start praying in Jesus' name for these things to leave. Wow. And so Newell goes home, starts praying in Jesus' name for these things to leave. And she makes a bit of a deal with God as well along the lines of, if you can help my mum, I'll do anything for you. Wow. You know? <laughs> wow. So a week later, they leave. Wow. And so and it's like the daughter's just totally blown away. And the mother's also, they both become Christians, both just like throw themselves at God and, and uh, are just transformed, you know. Wow. And so um, about six months later, a lady in the church there, this is in Chiang Mai, um, a lady in the church said, I'm going to China I want someone to come with me. Wow. So yeah. Dawn's daughter, Nu, puts her hand up and says, I said to God, I'll do anything, so I'll go with you. That's so as far as I can tell, these are probably the first Christians in this people group. Amazing. And one of them heads off to China to be a missionary. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> and she's still there now. She's She married a Chinese guy and she's got kids. and Wow. She's living there church planning. That's amazing. So it's just like, yeah. So anyway, all of that to say, we were we were trying to work out the vowels with Dawn of this language. You know, there's some crazy vowels that we don't have in English, and um, she's illiterate, so she can't read. But we had a whole bunch of pictures that we knew what the words were, and we're, we were showing her pictures and we were sorting those pictures into different piles that relate to the vowels, just so we could work out what vowels were different from others. And um, we, we had a break for lunch and uh, we're outside eating whatever she'd prepared for us. And, um, and this guy drives past on a motorbike and uh, sees 
us like white faces. There are no white faces for like 100 kilometres. So he notices us and I see him do a U-turn and come back and he comes up and talks to us. And, um, and he says to me, um, I'm a Christian and uh, could you help me plant a church and translate the Bible into our language? Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, just to give you a bit of context, we had been in um, we'd been in process since '98 or '99 to get into Wycliffe um, to do three years of training at Bible College. We worked in New Zealand with Wycliffe doing mobilisation for three years, and then we started looking around to go overseas. We got to Thailand in 2008. We met this guy probably in 2013. So if you put that together, that's like 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Wild. And the backstory for this guy is, this is pretty crazy as well. Do you want to hear this story? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he he was a bit of a bad boy, kind of into drinking a lot and into, you know, womanizing and all sorts. And um, But he had his own sort of mechanics shop in his village. And uh, his name's Sunny or Dawan. His real name's Dawan. So if I call him Sunny or Dawan, you know, it's the same guy. Um, he was he was doing his thing in his village and these guys from another people group came and said, can we hire you and your vehicle to go and pick up some animals across the border in Burma, Myanmar? And so he was like, yeah, okay. And drove, I don't know, it's about three hours drive, three and a half hours drive to the border. Uh, he stayed on the Thai side. These guys went over to the Burmese side and they didn't come back for like seven days. Wow. And when they came back, they didn't have any animals, but they did have drugs. <sighs> so as he's driving back from there to his village, um, they come to a police checkpoint with a thingy, you know, yeah. and the guy pulls out a knife and says, don't stop. We've got heroin. If you stop, I'll kill you. So that one guns it and drives through this arm thing. Um, the police are shooting at them with M16s and chasing them after that. And he drives and eventually drives into the forest and uh, ditches the vehicle and everyone scatters. Wow. And so about midnight, so maybe six hours later, he's, he's spent that time up a tree hiding and, and he's wondering, hmm, I haven't heard any police. I, you know, I wonder if they didn't see us or whatever. So he kind of sneaks his way back to the vehicle and these spotlights come on and the police are there and they get him. Wow. And they take him back to the police station. Uh, pretty much torture him, a confession. Like he was like, I didn't know anything about these. They're not. You know, the guys had chucked the drugs, but the police had found them. Um, and and he was like, they're not mine. I didn't know. And mm, they put a plastic bag over his head and, and uh, suffocated him until he... Wow. And he wouldn't sign the confession. And um, so they got out the electric clips and 230 volts, put one of them on his big toe and started electrocuting him. And uh, he signed the thing. So he got put in jail for 33 years. Wow. And somewhere in there, he met Jesus. Wow. <laughs> like uh, he was in jail for 16 and a half years and he got out. Wow. And uh, some crazy, crazy stories in there. But uh, yeah, he came back to his village. He was uh, harvesting rice with his father because like he had nothing else to do. He'd just come out of prison. And um, they'd had this, um, the way they harvest rice over there is they cut it and they leave about this much of the stalk sticking out of the ground. And then they lay the rice on top of that for it to dry for a day or two. And then when you actually, they thresh everything, they cut everything by hand, they thresh everything by hand. But it just makes it easier when you're threshing it. The rice comes off the, the sheaves and the stalks easier. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, they'd cut almost all of their rice. It was all out there and they could see rain coming in the distance. 
and he had told his father about Jesus and, you know, God and, and all this. And his father said to him, you know, if your God's so great, tell him to stop the rain. <laughs> wow. So no one, our friend, he's like, he, he said to me at the time uh, later when he was retelling the story, I just had no faith just zero faith but I prayed out loud God can you stop the rain you know stop it from ruining our crop because if it rains on the rice when it's out there it's kind of bad it can make it go moldy and make it sprout and all these things it ruins you ruins your rice harvest basically Mm -hmm. so I prayed this really faithless prayer and somehow this wind blew the rain and just changed direction and hit it off and and Mm -hmm. didn't hit their fields and so his father was like oh, wow, <laughs> your God's real. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was the that was one of the um, cool things or a couple of the cool things, uh, highlights from our time um, on the, over there. Um, language development's been pretty fun. Um, it's been pretty rewarding working in this language for 2012, nine years now. Um, but after five or six years, getting to the stage where you're not hearing any new sounds, you think you've catalogued them all and, you know, you start working out the orthography and how these sounds relate to each other. And so now we've got this document that's called a transfer primer. Anyone that knows how to read in Thai can learn how to read Loire. Wow. And so... Um, uh, we're still working on a, a, a mother tongue primer where uh, people who can't read, which is anyone over 40, um, they can learn to read in their own language just by introducing, you know, one word and adding another letter, mm-hmm. you know, next lesson's another letter, and you just build it up like that so that they get the association between this little squiggle on the page mm-hmm. and a sound in their language. That's cool. So, um that's pretty fun. We've uh, we've enjoyed doing that and seeing people learn how to read their language. And then we've done uh, oral Bible story. We actually did a panorama of fifty stories from creation through to the Book of Acts. And uh, yeah, that was really fun. That was good for our team as well. We ended up with Dawan, the guy I told you about, and his wife Jum on our team. And um, actually, I should show you a picture. Do you want to see a picture of them? Yeah, go for gold. Okay, so. This is what our team looks like now. Wow. Um, this guy in the middle here is um, uh, Dawan, uh, mm-hmm. and his wife Jum is on that side of Rosie. And then we've got two other uh, team members. This guy's name is La, and her name is Goy. So Amazing. this is what the Loire people look like in their traditional dress. Nice. Beautiful. I should... Um, try and get that to work shouldn't I so it's a bit bigger screen okay there you go (laughs) so that that was at a um cultural festival in Chiang Mai so cool cool yeah that's pretty cool all right perfect okay so where was I (laughs) (laughs) um you were just sharing that you had uh had started to do the 50 stories with your team and it was really good for your team? Yeah, that's right. Um, Like uh, so many of those stories, um, you're like, so you'd read it or tell it in uh, in Thai and uh, you'd say, have you heard this story? Never. You know, (laughs) it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. Mm. So... Um, yeah, we finished a panoramic story set. Um, the, the idea of that is that you don't have a barrier to, to read or understand these stories. You don't have to learn to read in your own language to be able to hear these stories and understand about God's um, plan of redemption. And so, yeah, we put that on, on phones and we're just about to upload all of those stories to YouTube so that um, it's still a bit fiddly getting them from phone to phone and getting people to download them from the Google store, which isn't in their language. And, you know, it's kind of tricky. Um, So we're uploading those as videos onto YouTube. So we'll just be able to point people at that channel and say, 
you know, here you go, listen to these. Cool. So since then, we've also started doing written translation in Mark. Well, we've done the book of uh, Ruth and the book of Jonah as sort of practice uh, written translation books. And we've finished those and got Ruth through the consultant checking process and Jonah almost through the consultant check process. So um, we're into the gospel of Mark. That's amazing. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing those stories of not just how you got brought um, into the mission field, but how God brought all these other people together to like now have your translation team. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. The next question we have one that was submitted by someone through Instagram. Um, So they've asked, what do you wish people understood better about Bible translation and missions? Yeah, this is a pretty good question. Um, Probably a couple of things that we thought of. Um, In Acts 2, when uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on these Jewish uh, people from all over the Roman world, um, in verse 11 it says, uh, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And so it's like, God wanted everybody to hear the gospel, hear about Jesus in their own language. And this is the birth of the church. And so I think that's pretty uh, important for people to hear about Jesus in their own language. Um, You know, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's a pretty good start. Um, (laughs) And unfortunately, a lot of missions has been done where the language component's missing. So they'll try and come in in a national language or yeah. or even English, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've seen this, like there's been people trying to reach out to the Loire for 50 or more years. Wow. And they'll come up and they'll preach and they'll hand out tracts and no one, no one can read them to start with. I mean, younger people now that are starting to go to school in Thai, they can read them. But it's like you're not speaking their language. And mm. the cultures are quite different. So it's like flip this around and imagine someone came to us and they didn't speak English. They were speaking some other language and uh, telling us about this God that, you know, you can hardly understand. Would we... Would we believe them or listen to them? Yeah. Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, but it takes a lot of commitment to learn the language. It takes two or three years to get mm-hmm. decent at it. And you've got to go through this period of time where uh, you feel dumb mm-hmm. and people laugh at you a lot and you say stupid things. Um <laughs> 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 Thai is tonal, so you can have the same word. Um, uh, ying is one example. Ying is the word for woman, but ying is the word for great. Mm. So ying is woman, ying is great. Do you yeah. get right. that difference? Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you say God most high or God the greatest, it's pajao ying yai. But if you say, if you get that tone wrong, it becomes pajao ying yai. Pajao is a big woman. <laughs> wow yeah you definitely so you don't make, want that <laughs> so you make crazy mistakes like that that's great so um okay so missions yeah uh bible translation specifically i think um it has the ability to transform cultures which it's done in our culture and in pretty much every other culture it's gone into yeah um uh, when you go when a culture goes from just being oral, every time someone dies, they lose the knowledge that's mm-hmm. in that person's brain. And they can they can keep some of that through oral tradition and telling stories and stuff. But it's not really until a language is written down that you start to get to um, incorporate stuff from outside and start to write things down in a way that helps you develop your language and yeah your culture. So oral oral languages are usually fairly small number of, of words, say five or six thousand, whereas written written languages, um, you know, English two hundred thousand or plus, you know. So yeah. 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 
Um, it also, Bible translation, really helps the, the church founders or the, or the people that are going to become the elders or the leaders in the church to get a really deep, deep dive verse by verse through the Bible. Mm. And it's like better than any Bible college or seminary degree they could do. Um, and it also really helps the person that's with them facilitating doing the translation too, to go mm. through the Bible in that depth. And so um, we are blessed at the same time as, as we're leading them through this process. Mm. But it's not easy. It's like, it's not mission difficult, it's mission impossible. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, yeah, we had to learn two languages, the national language Thai and the local language Loire, just to get into being able to start learning, you know, and ah, that's hard yeah. and it takes a long time. And uh, there's some organizations that think they can do, you know, a quick Bible translation in six months or three months even. Yeah. And it's just like, maybe that's possible in some of these big languages where you've got highly educated people and lots of established churches and orthographies that are already, you know, in use for years. But the majority of the remaining languages of that 7,000, they're in the hard to reach, the very yeah. poor low numbers of Christians, um, steeped in animism or some other Hinduism or whatever, hard to get to geographically, low level of education. It's just like, man, this takes a long time to get them up to speed, uh, to get the facilitator up to speed. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard. I actually recently was asked to um, preach for a church in Pakistan via Zoom. And uh, so I was just preaching in English and there was a translator. And even that process where I get to speak my own language and communicating with them and all of that, it's that's just difficult without having to try and do all the rest of it of learning the thing and everything. And it was quite eye-opening for me to do that experience and think about, okay, how how am I expressing this? Is this even going to relate to people? And I, I was sharing um, the parable of the sower and the seed mm. from Matthew because I thought, you know, these are um, rural people. So, you know, they're probably going to relate to the story of the ground and the soil and it relating to your heart and all of that, but had no idea, have never met them or anything like that. And I'm thinking through, okay, how do I express this? And then I'm like, I don't even know how well this translator even knows English. Like, <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so is it even coming across? And then, um, I found out later that they've only gone through, um, the Gospel of John and Galatians as a church so far. And so reading, uh, speaking to them from Matthew, it was their first time hearing these words. And I share mm. this parable with, parable with them and um, it, it did relate. And to see them catching it, it was absolutely mind-blowing for me uh, mm. because I think – uh, we forget how pervasive the scripture is in our society as Western people yeah, because um, yeah. it's just everywhere and we don't even really realize how involved it is. And then you're sp I'm speaking to this people group who have never had any of that context and sharing this very simple message and it's mind blowing to them, but also very difficult on my end. <laughs> so I can just imagine all of the extra layers of, doing that whole translation process and everything. It's mm. its crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So insane. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next question that we have for you is, what are some surprising things that you have experienced in the process of what you've been doing? Yeah. Um, the spiritual attack was surprising. Like yeah. we kind of knew that that would happen, but we just had no idea. Mm. Uh, living in the West, you just don't really get it. We don't see it. Uh, it's still there, I think, but it's just undercover, whereas there it's in your face. Yeah. It's like the mafia, you know, <laughs> you pay up or we will hurt you. Wow. You know? <laughs> um, this, the closest language group is about um, the closest language to ours related, you know, to our language, um, is about 
60 or 70 kilometers drive. We're up on top of a mountain plateau. They're, they're kind of down the other side, almost to the um, Burmese border. Um, but they've had a missionary there since the 60s and they've translated their Bible and they've got a great thriving church, uh, probably two, 3,000 Christians. Wow. So going great guns. And um, they finished their whole Bible translation in about 2003 or four, somewhere around there. And then we moved up to the village 2012 and, and we kind of started to get to know them, I don't know, 2016 or 17, we met a few of them and they started coming over and, and trying to do outreach to the to our Lua. And, um, and then somewhere about 2018, they said, oh, we've, 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 got, a, um, we've got the Bible on CD, the translation, um, but when we put it in our computer, it's just gobbledygook. We can't read it. It's just like glyphs and it's not their language. You know, it's just like what you get when the computer doesn't read it. Yeah. And it was a font issue. And and so I said, oh, you know, bring it over. I'll have a look at it and we'll see what we can do. I like this is their only copy of the Other than the hard copies that they'd printed out, this was it. Wow. And on the drive over to bring it to me, they're in a car accident. <sighs> so it's like <laughs> okay that's in your face yeah it's like someone doesn't want that to happen <laughs> yeah thankfully they were only minimally hurt the car was written off but uh the cd survived we found out later that the they didn't know this at the time but uh the bible society no uh yeah, the Thai Bible Society had a copy of it. So oh, wow. it wasn't their only copy. But um yeah, it's it's crazy. The like we had our first workshop um when we were starting oral Bible storying. There were three languages there, one from Burma, two from Thailand. We were learning about the whole process and um uh, <laughs> a crazy <laughs> spiritual attack. Um we drove, we left our village, it's about a two and a half hour drive. And we were both good, healthy, well. By the time we got to Chiang Mai, Rosie was sick. So mm -hmm. sick that she missed the first day, two days of the workshop. And then our daughter got scarlet fever. So bright red, head to foot. Mm, wow. No one else in her school got it. It wasn't the same thing that Rosie had. And we're like, man, that's really bizarre, you know. And then the second day of the workshop, so I think we came down the mountain on the Saturday or the Sunday. I can't quite remember. Um, and so the second day of the workshop, which was a Tuesday, um, one person from our team left, didn't come back. She, she'd been visited by a demon the night before, and uh, she wasn't a Christian. She, we had two non-Christians on our team because, like, we only knew so few Christians. We were like, can we find someone else to come down to this <laughs> workshop, you know? And, um, and so she, she left and didn't come back. And then our main... Uh, translator Dawan Sunny and his wife Jum, they wanted to leave as well. They got visited by a demon that night as well. And wow. they said to us, we've never been that scared in our lives. Like, wow. This was full on. And then um, that same night, I'd, I'd just been really like, uh, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been sitting there for a day and a half almost two days and and I'd been comparing our team to these other teams you know and I was just so down and I just had all these thoughts like how useless we are you know here we've been going for you know how long and 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 I got this close to kind of saying something to our team but I realized later those weren't my thoughts mm. those were other thoughts that were getting put into my head like yeah. fiery darts and uh, I'm glad I didn't say anything. Um, our house in the village got broken into. Oh. Uh, we um, we had a method of getting money into, into Thailand from our New Zealand bank account. And for whatever reason, the people contacted it and said, oh, we just want to verify this. And, and we're like, yeah, here you go. Here's the details. And they're like, how long have you lived in Thailand? We're like, uh, six years. <laughs> and they're like, we, you know, we didn't know you're in Thailand, so we have to stop your transactions. Oh, and our man. visa card stopped as well, which was totally unrelated to this 
to this other company that we did our funds transfers through. So we had no money. We had no way to get money in the country. Oh. And <laughs> all of this happened in like a three-day period, four-day period. Wow. And we're like, hmm, this is spiritual attack. Yeah. <laughs> so many things were happening. We are just like, what? And it's insane. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, the spiritual warfare or spiritual attack is just, uh, it's a different level. I mean, it's not like that all the time. We tend to get that sort of thing during workshops and um so how do you uh, kinda, how do you combat that now is that something that you've got something you feel more equipped to deal with now or is that um yeah much thing? more cool yeah because i mean you kind of know you have to pray you know you should be praying for uh, protection and whatever but when it gets to this sort of level it's like whoa we need to really pray. <laughs> we need to get on our face and pray <laughs> and, um, and get other people praying for us. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we try and do that now. Whenever we have a workshop, we just try and uh, email out all our supporters. We've got maybe 450 or 460 people on our email list. And just say, please pray for us. We know that this happens during these times. And um, the first workshop we had, uh, October 2019, for written translation, our main translator, Sunny Dawan, uh, he was in the hospital for three days, didn't come to the workshop for the first two days. Wow. And we're like, <laughs> what? You know? Mm. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Our daughter, when we were living in the village, she would hear voices telling her not to obey us and telling her to do mm. stupid stuff um i've heard voices that said we're going to kill you oh, so wow it's a little bit different than new zealand just <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah i guess it does um what you were saying how you can email your supporters to pray it reminds you of the importance of everyone in missions it's not just the mm. people that go out like you need a team of people supporting you not just financially oh, yeah. but in prayer just because oh, like yeah. it's needed <laughs> yeah yeah mm. absolutely and it, and it really makes a big difference like when we send a newsletter out um all of a sudden uh everything gets easier you know it's easier to pray it's easier to read your bible it's easier like our relationship with each other it's like oh all of a sudden everything's easy because mm. people are praying wow right. that's pretty like, awesome you go three or four weeks five weeks and like everything's hard Mm -hmm. hard to find the motivation to read your bible to pray hard to have good relationships like you know and it's like rosie says to me oh, we need to send another newsletter out <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. that's amazing so the other thing that's surprising um is our own transformation our own growth um it's still surprising um but god is just so good He's so patient and, like, we knew nothing. Like, we were just green and, oh, golly, if <laughs> I knew then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone. Um, like, one of the guys I helped baptise, um, maybe, I don't know, less than a month later, he had a stand-up fist fight with his wife at our home group on a Wednesday night. Wow. They don't kind of teach you about that in uh, Bible college or seminary. <laughs> and so I had to jump up and get in between them because it's like no one else was doing anything. And wow. so it's like um, another time I volunteered to um, preach, like they have a Christmas outreach. They've had them for about five years. So initially it was just in our main translator's village where they'd make a little stage, you know, foot off the ground and they'd have some music and they'd have someone preach a message and they'd, they'd have food. And at the end of it, they'd have gifts. So they'd give out something, you know, like a warm hat or, you know, something to, to draw the crowd. And so that's kind of morphed from the first early days into uh, we got invited to speak at the main regional office for the for the regional government um, and like 1,500 people turned up. <laughs> so I kind of got volunteered to speak and I, I reluctantly agreed to it. Um, 
But about three weeks before that, our landlord put a spirit altar on our property where we live, where our house is. And um, there wasn't one before that, but he had built a couple of little chalet things there, little um, houses for, for guests to stay and to rent out to make money. And the people that came were all leaving. They would stay for like a week and then they'd leave. And he put it down to not having a spirit altar there. <laughs> <laughs> so he went and put a spirit altar in. And about, I don't know, three days later, I was cutting firewood because this was towards December when it gets cold and uh, and put the axe through my foot <gasps> and oh, cut. Gosh. Completely severed the tendon that goes to your big toe. So I was there on my own at our village house and uh yeah it was pretty freaky (laughs) but I made it back to made it back to Chiang Mai and um and within two weeks was um was preaching on that stage sharing the gospel so yeah yeah so that was but God keeps turning up he keeps giving us um so many cool examples of his faithfulness um, mm. and he helps us to learn how to trust him. Um, we're back and this is another little story. Have I told too many? No, I don't want to go on too this long. Is great. <laughs> um, we're back in New Zealand in 2011 speaking at this little uh, church uh, up in Walkworth. Actually, it was, a, it was a pastor's Monday morning prayer meeting and there were like 10, 10 people there. And uh, afterwards, this Maori lady comes up and says to me, God's going to give you the gift of music, bro. <laughs> and I, I'd, I'd done piano lessons when I was five, but that was it, you know, like that was my musical career. Um, and so I'm thinking to myself, I don't think so, you know, that's not going to happen. And uh, anyway, Xanthi, our daughter, really wanted to learn the ukulele. She'd seen, you know, ukulele things. And and the last people we visited before we left New Zealand was um, a couple that owned a music shop in Christchurch that had been demolished in the earthquake. Wow. And um, they'd been given one hour to get anything out of their shop. And the last thing he grabbed was this little red ukulele. And uh, we were chatting to them and, and he said, oh, I've got a ukulele. Do you guys want it? And we're like, Okay, you know, so he gives us this little red ukulele. It's probably like $20 or $30 if you buy one. And um, so what do you do? You know, you go on YouTube, you start learning how to play C, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And over the next few weeks, Xanthi and I learned how to play ukulele together. And then we had it in the village there. And like, it's like the Maori here, you know, like everyone can play guitar like they're born and they can play guitar you know everyone would come around and they see this little thing they're like wow I've never seen a guitar that small before and they'd pick it up and and the chords are all different I mean they're the same as the bottom four strings on a guitar but anyway um they they couldn't really play it and uh and so eventually I kind of thought I should probably try and upgrade to the guitar but we spent hours just of fun learning to play the ukulele and then I kind of upgraded to the guitar and and yeah we've been enjoying you know uh music and worship and uh playing the guitar and Mm. and that prophecy came true that's amazing it's just like how you know (laughs) wow thank you Jesus we were back uh, this is related to that story we were back in New Zealand in 2014 and uh, I didn't bring the guitar back because it's too big and uh, I was just driving, we were driving down to visit some supporters, first people we were visiting in New Zealand. And I just had this thought prayer, God, it'd be really cool if you could find someone to lend us a guitar so I could worship, we could, you know, have times of worship together. We get to the supporters place, they've got a guitar sitting in the corner. And we're like, oh, can I have a play on your guitar? So I play it. And she said, do you want it? I'm like, no, I can't take your guitar, you know? And she's like, no, it's not mine. It's someone left it here and they're not coming back. They, they live in the US. So if you want it, it's yours. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even voice that. I just thought it in my head, mm. you know? So God is just so good. And yeah. he just helps us to trust him. And he takes our little tiny mustard seeds of faith mm. and he kind of helps us to grow and grow until you know we've seen healing miracles and we've seen all sorts of provision miracles and things in the village but it's like 
it's not us. We kind of don't think we're uh, anything special. We're just taking one step after the other, trusting God, and and He's leading us into this stuff. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. it's been so awesome just hearing the stories from your life and how crazy it is, but just seeing that you know God's so evident in it. Um, I guess the last thing we want to ask is, how can people support you? Yeah. Um, Prayer is really the main way, especially for people that are listening. Um, we're kind of, uh, yeah, we we need people to pray. I've told you about all the spiritual mm. attack and stuff, and um, we need we need more people. We we actually once I think it was 2011 or 2014 we printed out all these cards with our face, you know, the missionary prayer card that you stick on your fridge. Yeah. And one of our friends who'd been in Papua New Guinea for years, he said, put a date on it, so make it specific. Because people often, you know, you ask them to pray for you, you send out a newsletter, um, but then you never know, are they praying or not? So we put dates from 1 to 31 on our prayer card and said, could you just make sure you make, you you remember to pray for us on that day? And we've been really surprised the number of people that we go and visit them, even last week in Tauranga, she said, oh, my date's the 7th to pray for you guys. And I'm like, people still do that <laughs> so we got people praying for us on every day of the month which was really really cool mm. so um that's awesome prayer is a good way you can you can jump on our prayer newsletter if you want i'll give esther the the details for how to get onto that yeah um you can pray for our team members um they all have various issues um Dawan and Jum, uh he's our main translator his wife's actually not lawa she's Northern Thai, but she was kind of brought up most of her life in, in the village, so she can speak Loa fluently. Um, our other guy translated La, you can pray for him, and Goy, the other lady um, on our mm -hmm. team. They all have such different needs um, and crazy things happening in their lives. Um, and then we've had this Thai couple, Opal and Nut. Can I show you a picture of them? Yeah. Is it okay? Oh, um, oh yeah, it's working. So this is um, this is us in our. Can you see it? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In our office, um, and then this is the Thai couple that joined us. Um, they were meant to go to another country that we won't name. Uh, that borders Thailand, um, and COVID kind of put the uh, brakes on that. And so they, um, we just saw them at the Christmas. Wycliffe Christmas party thing, you know, and mm -hmm. and I heard about them not being able to get into their country, and um, and I said to them, why don't you guys come up and spend a year with us and and just help us out? So um, cool. they talked to the Wycliffe director and um, talked to their church, and and they've been with us for about six months now. So they're super helpful. Um, Opal was working on media and computer stuff at Wycliffe. Thailand for about four years so he's super mm. onto it with um, all the technology and he's the one putting all our stories into video format with the audio and everything and uploading them to YouTube. Um, Nut's been working with an organization um, that's basically related to Wycliffe um, that does literacy in minority people groups cool. Um, cool. so she's they've worked on about 12 languages around Thailand trying to get multilingual education off the ground so that kids in these tribal groups can learn to read and write in their own language first which really helps them so they're both really really like wow yeah. awesome skills we'd like them to stay we're praying that they'll stay <laughs> um, so if you feel like you want to pray for them that'd be great yeah that's awesome we actually pray for um, you at our church every every week. Um, wow, thank yeah. you. So every week, yeah, our whole church prays for you. Um, so it's great to know some extra little things that we can be praying for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, uh, thank you so much for being with us today, Greg. It's been awesome to hear your stories and um, yeah. always faith building to do these episodes with different people and, and you're just just as faith building, um, really, really huge appreciation for what you've shared today. And uh, we'll be back again next month 
uh, we're actually going to have my dad as a guest. So that'll yeah. be fun. He's he's kind of how the whole relationship between us and Wycliffe even happened. So be looking forward to that. He's a, he's a funny old man. Expect some awful dad jokes, but um, <laughs> hopefully we'll get past them. <laughs> no, no, he's a, he's a good one. So yeah, uh, make sure you like, comment, share, all of those things, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.